Today's program has been brought to you by Underground Meats, an American producer of handcrafted salami and cured meats in Madison, Wisconsin. For more information, visit shop.undergroundfoodcollective.org or stop by their butcher shop in Madison, Wisconsin. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Good evening, and welcome to Foment About It on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. <laughs> we are air every Monday night at 7 o'clock p.m. on Heritage Radio Network. We are also archived on iTunes. I'm your co-host, Mary Izette. <laughs> and I'm Chris Guzmi. <laughs> welcome. So we'll start with a few announcements. Um, number one is there is actually a homebrew competition slash ex- exhibition coming up on June 22nd. It's going to be at the Green Building in Gowanus. Um, the tickets are 30 bucks. There's two different sessions. It's open to the public from 1130 to 230 or 3 to 6. They have about 22 different local homebrews that you can taste. You can um, vote for your own. The list looks really good so far. So I would encourage you to um, visit. It's called Home Brooklyn, H-O-M-E-B-R-E-W-K-L-Y-N. So Google that for more information. And on the 23rd, uh, one of our favorite uh celebrity podcast kind of homebrew guys at uh, Tasty McDole. Mike McDole from the Brewing Network is going to be in town and we're going to have a little meet and greet and hang out uh, at Barcade Brooklyn uh, in the afternoon. I forget the time of that, but it should be pretty fun. He's a great, fantastic guy and he's uh, in town to visit his son and also going to the National Home Brewers Conference, which is the following or that week actually. And we're all very excited about that. Yep. The other thing is that Saver is in New York City this this uh, year, in fact, this week, so Friday and Saturday, it's this beer and food pairing extravaganza that's put on by the Brewers Association. It's in Chelsea at the Metropolitan Pavilion and Altman Building, and it is absolutely amazing. Chris and I have been a few years, um, and we're very excited. We'll be there on Friday night. There are a few tickets still left, um, and there's also a lot of events going on around. So this is a great week for you guys to meet some brewers. There's a ton of brewers and owners of breweries that are going to be in town, both at Saver and at events around town. So Our friend Dr. Bill's in town, too. That's exactly right. <laughs> Dr. Doing Bill a- gave you a hassle today for not <laughs> pumping up his, his thing. So what's his thing he's doing? He's so doing- Thursday night, he's doing a six-course um, master pairing dinner at the Pines in Gowanus. And um, that's going to be at, ooh, what time does it start? Oh, I didn't put the six-ish, time down. Six-ish, somewhere around six-ish. Yeah. <clears throat> it's 65 bucks a person, actually. That, that'll be actually fantastic. I mean, six courses, six stone beers, um, curated by uh, Dr. Bill Sysak. But what's happening today, Mary? Oh, I'll let you The that. show, what? <laughs> the show, this show. Here we are, forget about it. And we have three of our really, really, really good friends and uh, just incredible brewers. Uh, they are a brewing team. I don't even know where to start with these guys, so I'm going to ask them to where to start, where they started. But we have uh, Oscar Norlander, Eric Norlander, and Peter Simon. How are you doing? Doing good. How are you guys doing? Doing well. Hey, hey. hello. That's, so I have to say that Chris and I rolled in the studio <laughs> like 15, 20 minutes ago, and there's six homebrewed Six bottles of homebrewed sours in varying ages. So just to set some context, the first bottle these guys opened was a Zin Barrel Guza six-month blend 2012. So that's kind of gives you some context of what these guys are doing. You guys do a lot of uh, barrel blending and, and all kinds of good stuff. So let's talk about... Well, how did you guys start brewing together? 
Oh, man. Where did you guys meet? Yeah, where do you start here with this? Um, How long do you live together? Yada, yada. All right, so this is Peter talking. I'm looking across the room to everybody else. Um, (laughs) So I've known Eric and Oscar for 21 years now. Wow. Uh, Eric moved in next door to me when we were in junior high school. And so his older brother, Oscar, was living with his dad, so I'd met him about the same time. And we all kind of just hung out. We were kids. And so eventually, years later... Oscar would buy us beer when we were in high school. <laughs> yes. Well done, Oscar. And uh, I, I don't think he was 21 yet, but <laughs> but he got into craft beer really young, and he kind of forced it upon us. So thank you. <laughs> um, and then th- they moved out here. How long have you guys been in New York now? I've uh, been in New York for 13 years. Yeah, I've been here for uh, 11. Yeah. Wow. Uh, I've been out here four now, so they've been out here forever. Uh, I moved out here, moved in with them, and we all have been into beer for, you know, since way before that. But as soon as we moved in together, we all started brewing together. They were already, you know, starting to get into home brewing. I was brewing professionally before and actually started home brewing when I didn't have a brewing job. And you, <laughs> where do you brew now? Uh, I brew at Kelso of Brooklyn and uh, Heartland Brewery. So I work at Greenpoint Beer Works. It's a kind of catch-all, multi-company And brewery. you were recently promoted to head brewer. I am head brewer over Congratulations. there. Congratulations. Yes. And thank you. Congratulations. But, uh, yeah, so we moved in together and uh, started brewing. We were doing partial match batches, uh, partial mash batches. And from there, we moved up to all grain. Uh, we acquired a small barrel that I had got when I was working at a brewery back in Southern California. I was working at one of the BJs down in Oxnard. Uh, when I moved out here, I acquired one of the barrels that we had and moved that out here with me. And then they got a barrel from their dad, this 30-gallon Zinfandel barrel. Yeah, my dad had a Zinfandel oak barrel that he'd been using for a few years. At that point, it just didn't have quite the oak flavor it used to. So he was looking to kind of get it replaced. So we ended up getting him a new barrel and went over there to UPS, just kind of wrapped it in cardboard <laughs> and you know plastic. And they were like, no problem. Yeah, <laughs> Shipped it out here. <laughs> And your dad was using it to make wine? He was using it to make uh, Zinfandel wine out in Sonoma County, California. Yeah, which he's been entering in local Sonoma competitions. He's pulled a couple medals with it. Awesome. Himself. So about how long have you been doing barrel-aged stuff then? So we're on what years was this? Um, About three years total. uh, All the Lambic and Goose stuff, that's a little over two years. so any of the sours that we're going to drink today, with the exception of the Flemish Red, uh, which is a separate project, uh, all of the other uh, Lambics, those are all a little over two years old for the base beer. Uh, we're brewing on about a 10-gallon batch system. We had 15-gallon Blickmans. Uh, we had two 15-gallon Blickman um, for our, yeah, the Boilermakers, uh, one with the False Bottoms, who are doing the all-grain batches in there. Uh, we're yielding around 10 gallons per batch. Uh, so it takes a lot of batches to fill a, a 30-gallon thing. Yeah. And, um, then we're kind of doing a Solera system where we'd top it off and pull some off. Uh, so some of the goose blends take some off of the barrel, and then we'd add some younger stuff that hadn't been in the barrel. So it kind of takes a little bit of the oak character out, a little bit of the wine character, a little bit of the tannins out, um, and then also helps really sour it a lot more. Um, but then we were also just able to top off the barrel so the barrel stays full. So the barrel's 
pretty much had sour beer in it for a little over two years now, with the exception of when we had to move out of this awesome apartment we were in. And um, Oscar has the barrel now. It's full. We we emptied it. I think it was empty for about two days. And, yeah, uh, I think it was like four days, something like that. And now it's full sitting there in my living room. Awesome. That, that took priority over all other moving yeah. things we could possibly have. Yeah, I think we cleaned and then filled the barrel. So yeah. what, what inspired you guys to start brewing sours? I mean, I think a lot of homebrewers are intimidated by brewing sours. It's a time commitment. It's a little bit risky in that you don't know what you're going to get. So what, ins- what has inspired you guys? Personally, it's my favorite style of beer. Yeah, I think it's that. I think it's the challenge. It's, it's something unusual. It's the fact that I can go pick up a lot of other great beers for, you know, $10 a six-pack, $15 a six-pack, or something like that. And sour beers now are getting very, very expensive. So if you can produce, you know, a case or two that you really like, well, you know, you're saving yourself a lot of money. Yeah, yeah and it's also, it's, they're hard to get. I mean, and you guys, and these are delicious. And they're hard to get. And they're, <laughs> these are, that's right. This is our first sour show, so uh, just a basic rundown. What did you, what were your, pro- did you guys brew sour before you got the barrels? Uh, a little bit. We had started brewing a couple of batches in anticipation. So once we actually, we'd been talking about getting this Zimbabwe barrel for years, um, and it, it took a while to, for it actually to happen because it was being used as a, a storage barrel for their dad's wine. And so he was done with it, but he was still using it. He's like, it's oaked out, but I can still hold wine in it. And so once it, they were finally able to convince him to <laughs> steal to, it from him, to, with him. to turn <laughs> but, over the barrel, that Pass actually took us buying him a new barrel for Father's Day <laughs> with the contingency of, so you're going to ship that out, yes? So, thanks, Dad. <laughs> uh, but, so, they got a new barrel for Father's Day. They went out there that summer and shipped it back. I think we'd started brewing sours for the barrel early spring that year. That was, mm-hmm. so, two and a half years ago. We started brewing for it specifically. Before that, we'd done uh, some Flemish Reds that we had aged in the smaller barrel that I had brought out from California. Um, We'd actually done some sour meads. Um, we had taken a bunch of kind of the bottom of uh, bottles. I think we took about a dozen bottles of sour beer. Yeah. Some Russian Rivers, Cantillon, Jolly Pumpkin, I think. Yeah, yeah just yeah, kind of any of sour beer that we could get, we would take the, the dregs. And we had, a, I think, a 100 milliliter uh, a flask with an airlock. And we'd just kind of keep adding in a little bit of DME and just kind of keep it going. Um, and then we had a batch of mead kind of stalled out around 1030. And so it's like, well, let's pitch this into there. And so we pitched it and it fermented right back up <laughs> and it, it, you know, finished all the way out, got really dry, got really sour. Um, and that, that was delicious. It ended up being really, really good. Uh, about a dozen of those bottles, we ended up priming to bottle condition with tart cherry juice. Uh, we just got some, uh, just juice from Knudsen's and spiked about two ounces per bottle into those. And it got really carbonated, it was sour, it was funky, it was fruity. Honey character completely gone, but it was just fantastic. Um, That's one we haven't tried to duplicate again, but I think we should. Yeah, it's the one problem with these sours. I I love making them, but unlike other beers, you can't sit there and replicate as often as freely as you'd like. You can't sit there and go, I'll make this batch ten times, and that will take years and years, especially if you are letting them age a year or two. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, it's kind of... It's a style where I think you don't necessarily have to replicate it. You can almost, each one can be its own kind of vintage, its own uh, exciting experiment. So let's talk about the Zen Barrel. The, so the Zen Barrel Goose, that's a six-month blend. So what exactly went into this? So let's start with your base recipe for your base beer. So, uh, yeah, the base recipe, 
Um, we, we tried to kind of do the same base malt bill for all these. The hops kind of changed a little bit depending yeah, on what Yeah, and we I had. think it took us a few batches to kind of get the malt bill down. Right. But we started going about like 50% of just a nice base barley, about 25% unmalted yeah. wheat, 25% malted wheat. We found that gave a nice kind of... Uh, yeah, it was good flavor, good color, uh, kind of depend on what we could get a hold of. Mm-hmm. Since I work at a pro brewery, I can get a lot of ingredients for free, pretty much, because uh, taking 20 pounds of Pilsner malt in a 2,000-pound batch is... Mm-hmm. It's, it's nothing. It's, you know, it's, it's easy, especially if you're using it for beer. I'm, I'm experimenting. This is my pilot system. Yeah. Um, so we'd kind of looked at some of the, the history of what... You lambics are and what they're supposed to be and rather than going into some of the more complicated boiling schedules because uh, a lot of them have like a four-hour boil time so it gets really complicated in that sense we tried to just go all right well, let's try to do 50 percent pilsner 50 percent wheat try to get as much raw wheat as we can and then from there try to get aged hops if we could we actually ordered a lot of hops from uh, freshhops.com yeah, they fresh have hops. aged lambic hops and we've went through a couple of large like half pound bags of them yeah, yeah we got aged hops whole, from hops? Uh, whole hops for those okay. um, otherwise we'd get uh, low alpha pellet hops yeah, uh, like so spalt like or whatever that's, that's like yeah. 2% yes yeah, yeah, during Goldings uh, Streisel spalt um, just kind of whatever we could find and just use a very small amount um, just to start the boil we'd usually do about a 60 minute boil yeah. just you know try to keep it simple makes for an easy brew day it's not a lot of grain to start with so Overall, it's it's easy to grain out. It, it makes for yeah, really no easy flavor, no aroma hops. Just one addition at like sixty. Yeah, just mm-hmm. at the start, um, which and makes. Where are you? Where, where are you mashing at? Um, we're going for around one fifty-five, uh, somewhere in there. Trying to not have it finish out too fast. Uh, for yeast, pretty much once we started going, we were using the Y yeast Lambic Blend Smack Packs. Uh, just going to the homebrew shop and buying yeast from them. Um, and we we're pretty much getting one per five gallons that we were going to be doing. We do all of our primary fermentation in those. We're doing all of our initial fermentation in just carboys. Mm-hmm. We could do 10-gallon batches, but so we just split it into two carboys. Uh, occasionally, we also had some three-gallon uh, better bottles that we'd top off if needed. Um, but for the most part, just doing five-gallon batches, you know, as many as we can fill at a time. But... Uh, yeah, so from there we ended up, when we moved, I think we had almost 20 gallons of Lambic that wasn't in a barrel yet. <laughs> we, we had the full 30-gallon barrel, and I think we had three, five gallons of different fruit blend Lambic, so we had pulled off beer and topped off the barrel, and we ended up with five-gallon corny kegs. And so we just spike it with fruit puree or actual fruit or you know just kind of make our own concoctions. So we had this great base recipe, and... We, we didn't really know what it was going to taste like because we had never done it before. So right now, the, the stuff that you know we're tasting in front of us, it's worked out great, but it was, a lot of it was just experimentation. Sure. Uh, so we're still kind of learning on what we do, but I've been really happy with the results. There's not much I would change. No, for example, the six-month that we have, it's been in bottle for 18, and it's changed remarkably. Incredibly. In this was, 18 months. Yeah. This was kind of flat. Um, so six yeah. months old when, when it... When you bottled when it, it went it's been bottle. in these bottles yes. for 18 months now. Right. Yes. Okay. And that was six months since <clears throat> when you first pitched uh, your wine. Into, uh, into the zoom. When oh, it that was first into, went the barrel. into the barrel. Into the barrel. Yes. Okay. Cool. With that, we're going to take a small little break. Thanks for listening for Minute Battle.
Underground Meats is an American producer of handcrafted salami and cured meats in Madison, Wisconsin. They use small farms from southwest Wisconsin to source their meat. The animals are raised on pasture for their entire lives by farmers who care about animal welfare. While Underground Meats uses European traditions, they also use ingredients from the upper Midwest to try to create new types of salamis, experimenting with both ingredients and techniques. The salamis are made using heritage breeds, mostly red wattles, tamworts, berkshires, and mule foots. Try their award-winning cured pork shoulder and goat salami. To learn more and purchase products, visit shop.undergroundfoodcollective.org or stop by their butcher shop in Madison, Wisconsin. To ferment about it on Heritage Radio Network. Dot org. <laughs> so, uh, we were talking about all these barrels, uh, but I don't have much experience with barrels at all. What have you treated the barrels with? I mean, when you get a straight wine barrel, is there anything you do to it before? And what's the upkeep on it? What do you do between batches? And what have you noticed in your barrel dealings? Uh, so for me, I, I got to play around with some barrels a little bit when I was working at a brewery in Southern California. Uh, so most of my my practical experience has been if you get a barrel like immediately freshly emptied, especially a spirit barrel, if you, if you get a bourbon barrel or a you know, rum barrel or something like that, if you get it freshly emptied, you can pretty much fill it up right away. You might want to purge it with CO2 just to you know help keep oxidation down. Um, the barrel that we got from their dad... It had been empty for a little while. Uh, it got shipped across country. Um, so we took it to the brewery I work at now, uh, hot killed it. So we filled it with 200-degree water, uh, which would be really hard to do at home for 30 gallons. <laughs> yes. uh, but it's really easy to do when you have a very large vat of 200-degree water. Um, but partly to make sure that it hadn't, uh, the wood hadn't shrunk, because if it's leaking in the heads or between the staves, if, if you're trying to fill it and it's just seeping out... It, it could be, you know, disastrous. Um, so filled it with 200-degree water just to make sure that it was holding liquid and make sure to kind of help kill any bacteria that's in there. Even though we're putting sour bugs into there, we still wanted to make sure that it was the bugs that we wanted. Uh, so it, it came to us sealed. It had a, you know, bung in it and everything like that. It had been shrink-wrapped up and everything like that. So it, it looked in really good condition when we got it. It's American oak. Uh, uh, yeah, I think medium char American oak. Yeah, medium char, is. I think heavy on the ends. Yeah, um, and then gave it a, a sulfur burn. Got sulfur sticks and burned yeah. those inside. Uh, also helps prevent bacterial growth. Um, and then we, because we we did that, got it emptied, and then brought it back home, filled it back up. Um, then you did the sulfur burn at at the brewery. Yeah, after yeah. the water. Yeah, after the water. So filled it up with hot water, um, dumped it out and made sure it was all the way empty. And then for the sulfur stick, it, I mean, the sulfur sticks, if you haven't seen one, they're about eight inches long, about an inch wide, and maybe an eighth of an inch thick. They're really, really narrow. And they're, Where do you get these? 
Uh, you can okay. order from the homebrew shop. Yeah. Um, yeah, either, like, if you go order from uh, Northern Brewer. Um, I, I know I've bought some bitter nesters on Washington. Uh, good guys. Which is a great shop, by the way. Yeah. Fantastic shop. Yeah. They're actually behind the 22nd mm-hmm. the, the the homebrew home competition. Uh, I'm going to be judging there. Fantastic. So yeah. will Mary. Oh, oh Me no. Me too. Yeah. <laughs> we can talk about favorites. Um, <laughs> But, uh, yeah, so I actually have a, a metal coat hanger that I have clipped into a, a shape, and I have the end burnt or uh, bent into place so I can actually fit a part of a sulfur stick. Because one full sulfur stick, you should be able to do, you know, four or six barrels with it. You don't need oh, a full yeah. stick. I like it. Uh, so it's basically just burn it for a little bit. I like taking the uh, the propane torches, the push-button uh, little propane torches, yeah. um, and just kind of put the sulfur stick in there torch it let it smoke out and it'll kind of go out as it burns the oxygen too um and once you've kind of burned through that section of sulfur stick that you've used it should be ready to go uh so from there i'll usually just take a piece of tin foil fold it up and slap it down put some tape over it so it kind of traps it in there and then before i'll fill it with beer if it's beer that's already been fermented uh i'll always purge the barrel with co2 first just to try to get as much oxygen out as i can uh, the wood will allow oxygen through, but you don't want to over-oxidize your beer. Uh, so that's definitely an, an important step. Uh, if anyone is going to be sulfuring a barrel, please be aware sulfuring is highly toxic. Do so in an open environment. Don't breathe it. It will kill you. And if you're using a freshly emptied spirit barrel, do not put open flames <laughs> oh, yeah, into a happen. freshly emptied yeah. spirit Congratulations, barrel. Congratulations, you made a bomb. I was about to mention that. I was like, you probably don't want to do that. I've, I've heard the horror stories. I've never mm. seen it in action, but I wish I could. But after that, I mean, the main thing we were trying to do, which is true in both wine and beer making, is for most of these styles, you want to limit oxidation. So you want to kind of top up periodically, mm-hmm. take a look at the flashlight. Some of it will be lost to, I mean, it's Angel not. Sure. It's, yeah, yeah it's, some of it's, it's not completely airtight. You'll lose some to evaporation. Some will soak into the wood. Um, leak sometimes. Yeah, it leaks. Yeah, it'll happen too. <laughs> uh, one thing you mentioned is in between batches. Well, we really haven't intentionally emptied this barrel yet. Until uh, you moved. Until we moved, mm-hmm. but then it was refilled within a few days. So we didn't really do anything to it. So you've just been topping off over. Yeah. yeah. And then, and so how much when you? How much would you take out at a time? You would take something out to blend, or the most we've pulled out at a time is I think fifteen gallons. So we emptied yeah. about halfway at mm-hmm. one point, uh, and for that we. We have a stainless steel racking cane, and we have just a standard bung that fits into there. It's a a size 10 uh, drilled bung. Mm -hmm. So the racking cane fits in there. We actually drilled a separate hole so we could put a CO2 line going into there. Turned our CO2 tank down to about 2 PSI, just enough to kind of push it out, hold the bung in place, and it uh, just draws automatically out into the keg. Uh, whether we're using a half-barrel keg um, that I could like borrow from work or we have some of our own kegs too, or just corny kegs, uh, depending on the, the connection that we had or what we were looking to do, how much we were pulling out. Um, the the five-gallon kegs work great. I think we own about 15 of them, which yeah. Yeah. was is, convenient when we split them up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and when we had a giant room. <laughs> yeah. Right now it's kind of tricky. Um, but so we'd pull off... You know, usually about 10 gallons at a time. I think we did 15 Yeah, once. it seemed like we started with 5, kind of moved up to 10 or 15. I mean, I do kind of have this fear if, if you pull up too much, you'll lose some of the, the kind of house character that's in there, and it'll take a while to build back up. I think because we did pull 15 now, I'd like to let it sit, you know, maybe till like, this fall or something. Yeah, yeah much of that, just taste it and judge it from there. If you're going to pull 10 gallons, you know, it's going to take that much longer. As the barrel develops, things will, you know, rebound quicker, but... But taste it. 
Yeah, especially there, there's so much oak character. It's been in there for so long now. There's so much oak character. Uh, when we taste the one that's just straight from the barrel, I think it's the year one that we'll try it in a little bit. Uh, it's there's a lot of Zinfandel character. It's it's big and woody, um, so it's it's totally different than um, a lot of the fruit ones that you know we've made. The fruit kind of really strips out a lot of that wood character. Now let me ask: How long do you usually have your beers sit in primary before you put them into the barrel? Is there do you? I mean, is it vary or? Have it you found- does vary because, I mean, when you're going with emptying a barrel, it's a lot of work and everything needs to be kind of set up correctly. I think, I mean, you definitely, I mean, you can ferment in a barrel, but we've decided that's not something we want to do right now. Yeah, yeah, partly you to keep the, the sludge out. But um, since we were able to have so much brewed ahead of time, um, we could kind of just, well, what, what do we want? What do we need? Uh, so if one of us came across an interesting fruit or something like that, or well, we're out of goose. Let, let's blend some more. Um, it, one of the things that's been great about having sours on, we had a kegerator at home, so we had goose on tap. We had this you know, 5% alcohol carbonated tart wheat beer that was just fantastic to drink. And normally it's you know not that cheap per bottle, so it's just mm-hmm. this really great session beer that we all have really loved. And so that was one of the great things. We could blend together five gallons of goose really easily. And so we'll pull off 10 gallons of beer, but that can be 20 gallons worth of goose blended. Yeah. Or, mm-hmm. you know, I should mention things. that with the goose blends, we do try to keep like some sours just in stainless steel kegs or in glass carboys or better bottles. Uh, you know, they're often three months, six months, a year old to blend with some that of That didn't touch the barrel. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And, and sometimes we're waiting for it to go into the barrel. Sometimes we're blending mm-hmm. stuff that's coming out. Uh, one thing which we do a lot with some of our specialty meads and sours is if we'll do a, a mead brew day, we'll often you know try to do a, a good honey and things like that, get it started with nutrients, but often we haven't figured out what we're doing yet. If we really love the honey character, we'll leave it as is. If it's kind of boring, if it loses most of that, sometimes we'll go, well, let's add some sour bugs or let's add some fruit or something like that. And I think with some of these long-term projects like meads and sours, you can change your mind after six months, a year, two years, and if you don't like the way it's going, uh, you know, change directions. Cool. Yeah, one thing is also this is something which has pretty much dominated our brew schedule yeah. when we're <laughs> doing it because we realize, I mean, like Oscar mentioned earlier, you can always go down to the bodega and pick up, you know, an IPA or, you know, a brown or you know, anything like that. But to pick up a sour is really something special. And having the option to have, you know, sour on tap. IPA is a good shower beer. Sour is better. Sour is way better. Just FYI, and the shower no one sour. Else is, the shower is sour. So tell us about this um, the Zin, this wine beer that we're this infantile wine beer that we're drinking. Yeah, uh, please. Yeah, uh, I was out there with my dad a bit. I, I've helped him do a bit of the you know uh, picking the grapes like one year, and I've come out there for like bottling, racking, different things like that. Um, and you know he makes this great Zinfandel wine. We noticed that we were getting some of the characteristics um, of that through in the Lambic. So we're like, well, why don't we run with that and blend it back? And one day we opened a bottle of the wine and started kind of mixing it different portions. We decided about 20% or so. so of Zinfandel wine to your Yeah, so character. roughly uh, what is that? A bottle per gallon about. Yeah, yeah so about five bottles in a, a five-gallon corny uh, was, was pretty interesting. I mean, it does get kind of tannic in there with some of the red wines, but um, I don't know. At some point, age will kind of take care of that, and it, it does also make it, I think, considerably more alcoholic than most sour beers. Mm-hmm. 
since I think the wine by itself is almost 15. And delicious. So talk, let's, I want to ask about. I was going to say that tannic really works with the sour. Yeah. I mean, that's a nice thing. And yeah. uh, that uh, Haley and Stephen were on last week, uh, and and uh, they talked about great people. By the way, they are great people and, and neat brewers. They they take their second runnings from barley wines, and they they let they let the the work come down like below ten ten, or like they're getting a certain tannin from it, astringency that that works when it's sour, oh, but yeah. but wouldn't work for other for other things. And I think this is a testament to that. So we have a couple minutes left. I want to ask you guys about fruit. So. Your approach to fruit, what do you, are you usually using fresh? Some of your experiences and recommendations. Uh, most of what we've used so far has been purees. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, for the frambois, uh, we used, I, the, I think it's a quart size can I got from the homebrew shop of just raspberry puree. Yeah, Oregon. Um, yeah, like yeah Oregon something or mm-hmm. Venter's Choice or wh- whatever it is. Um, but yeah, just got a can from the homebrew shop, put one can into a five-gallon corny and let it sit for about six months warm and that was in secondary that was in secondary after we pulled it off mm-hmm. uh, i think all the fruit ones that we've done haven't been goose blends they've been straight off the barrel okay. try to keep as much of that character as possible okay uh, but then let it sit warm for a little while and then start carbonating it and then we'd throw it in the chest freezer to let it get down to temperature and from there we'd start pulling off the sludge um, none of the fruit beers we filtered we just kind of let them naturally settle mm-hmm. um they, they separate a lot, but there's just a lot of sludge. This, this wine one is it's brilliant clear now, but th- this was so thick and sludgy when we first put it in. Uh, what was interesting when we blended it, the, uh, the acid in the beer actually split the wine. It, so it got this oh, really weird... Like, so it separated oh, in, yeah, the, yeah, the acid in the wine. Fascinating. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Um, for the blood orange that we did, we also got a puree. We got a, a frozen puree. Uh, it came in one kilo... Uh, thing. So I think we did two kilos of blood orange puree into a five-gallon, yeah. and it's it turned out phenomenal. It's, I think it's one of the best beers we've ever made. Yeah, if you get a good Absolutely. quality like puree, I think, I mean, the flavor's really good, and you get a lot less loss and a lot less to deal with the fact that I have all these fruits at the bottom, and now i got to get right. rid of them somehow, yeah. and I don't actually have five gallons of beer in there anymore. Right. Yeah, traditionally, as much as I'd love to crush cherries and leave the pits and put it into my barrel and let it sit and you know get half of the barrel's worth out of it, and then you have this whole mess of trying to clean your barrel afterwards, I think it's worked a lot better for us, the situation that we were uh, brewing in, to use purees and just kind of go the simpler route. We already had a complicated enough beer. And so. purees are also brilliant because they are clean. Yeah. Yeah. They're sterile. Yeah. yeah, they're actually pasteurized on the way out of the factory, which is very convenient. If you get a high enough quality product of it, there's no harm to using a puree or something along those yeah. lines. And you guys are going to be pouring some of your kegs at the New York City Homebrewers Guild booth at NHC. Absolutely. Correct. We're going to be bringing out two fives, a blood orange, and a rhubarb, right? Awesome. Yes. Nice. So look for those. We have, we're going to be, uh, we, we have a social time. We're at we're Thursday at eleven night, to two. Eleven to yeah, and then we'll be we'll have a booth at the um, the club night as well on Friday. So keep an eye out for those if you're interested in twenty five beers for twenty five years. Yeah, thank you guys very much for listening. We'll be back next Monday at seven p.m. with Fomen about it. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. 
You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. Driving you crazy, off on a campaign like a red-eyed wild